What a game Saturday night. Like all of you, I'm sure, I thought the Sooners were dead at 28-3 and still dead at 31-10. But as we all know, Oklahoma was not dead. The Sooners were just getting started. OU outscored Baylor 24-0 in the second half. By now you know it was the Sooners' biggest comeback victory in school history. And the way that game played out was the best possible result for this 2019 Oklahoma football team. You may be thinking, how so? The best possible result coming out of Saturday would have been a statement Oklahoma win, a comfortable road victory that grabbed the attention of the playoff committee. After all, that is exactly what I wanted heading into that battle by the Brazos. But instead, we saw the Sooners get absolutely smoked for 30 minutes of football. For the third straight game, Oklahoma's defense looked lost, and the offense, the unit that's supposed to be nothing if not consistent, continued its dreadful play from the second half of Iowa State. After the game, Lincoln Riley said his team, quote, had the best, most spirited practices of the year coming into that game. He said he, quote, felt really good about how his team would play tonight. It was an admission that I was shocked to hear, but not surprising because outside of injury news, Lincoln Riley is pretty forthcoming. A great week of practice produced an even worse 30 minutes of football than what we saw in Manhattan last month. That's not good. But I'll be damned if this Sooners team didn't right the ship in the final 30 minutes. The offense played better. And in limited action because the offense dominated time of possession, the defense played better and was fantastic. Five Baylor drives in the second half. Three three and outs, two takeaways. This game played out perfectly for this team because it finally showed me 10 games into the season that this isn't a serious national championship contender. Some of you may have already realized that, but I had not. So OU's 34-31 win over previously unbeaten Baylor was the best of both worlds. Hard evidence to suggest this team isn't good enough to compete with LSU, Ohio State, and Clemson this year. But winning the game kept those slim playoff hopes alive. And after a contest like that, Oklahoma is afforded the chance to continue its quest to get better and maybe even get back to a level that better reflects the way this team looked through seven games. Meaningful football in Norman, Oklahoma continues into next week. And that's always a good thing. I'm Lee Benson, and this is West of Everest. Drew on the spot of the snap. Now Thomas, and this one is intercepted, given a second chance. Benito makes the pick, and a takeaway of all things is going to seal a massive comeback victory for Oklahoma. Nick Benito's game-winning interception welcomes us into this edition of West of Everest. You all saw what happened. Literally the snap before, he dropped what would have been a game-winning pick. Then Benito immediately redeemed himself. OU beats Baylor in crazy fashion, 34-31. Not going to waste any time today. Let's bring in Grant right away to talk about this game. Grant, how are you feeling this morning as you record around 10.45 a.m. on Sunday? The birds are chirping a little louder this morning. The sun is shining. <laughs> Coffee tastes a little sweeter this morning. It's all good. What a game last night, huh? Like I, I just it was um I, I feel like they've been in that in that in that scenario a handful of times over the last couple of decades, and they never really seemed to finish it off. But last night they did. And it was really cool. That was a lot of fun to watch. It it was 
a completely different team that came out in the second half. And really, it almost seemed like a completely different team than we've seen in the previous two and a half games uh, that came out in the in the second half of that game. What a gutty, gritty win. Lee, they turned into a freaking Big Ten team in the second half to win that game. <laughs> That's interesting. I mean, you have a lot of experience watching the Big Ten. I didn't think about that, but that's interesting. Let's begin the main portion of this podcast, and let's hear from Jalen Hurts. There's always a way, and I think we truly believe that. I know y'all didn't think we were going to come back and win. Fact check. True, Jalen Hurts. I did not think you were going to come back and win that game. That was Hurts, obviously, afterwards, talking about how uh, anything is possible. Do you have any social media posts tweets facebook posts from the first half grant that you wish you didn't have right now no i don't i I usually don't tweet or anything like that during the game unless i unless i really am feeling inspired no i mean that was a i i thought just the first half and the way that it was on uh unfurling was just a was just a perfect storm of garbage and um (laughs) baylor was obviously the beneficiary of it and it was great i mean when it was 28 to 3 um, stress level for me just just went way down because I started to think, well, well, that's pretty much it. Uh, because I mean, just the I I don't know if I've ever seen a, a team have more momentum than Baylor did at that moment. They were flying around to the ball, they were making plays um, in, in big moments. OU was making mistakes, and and everything was going Baylor's way. Charlie Brewer was dropping dimes, just. Everything, and then all of a sudden, once it just it just flipped. The script flipped uh, almost so abruptly that I can't really believe. And it was rewatching the second half this morning. I mean, OU just destroyed them in the second half. It was it was crazy. Let's hear from Lincoln Riley because you mentioned how everything changed after halftime. This is Lincoln Riley on the locker room at halftime, and then just more of his general thoughts on the game. The locker room at halftime was probably not what you imagine it would be like in the movies when when something like this happens. It was didn't have to say a whole lot to our guys. They were they they knew what they had to do, and they you never know hundred percent that you're going to be able to come back from something like that. But I think they all felt like we had a chance, you know. And I I got to be honest, even at even at K State when we got down that third quarter. I think maybe about half of us really believed that we had a chance to come back and win that thing. And in this one, there was not one person on that sideline that didn't believe it. And now you still got to go make it happen, but the belief is the for a comeback like that is 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 where it starts. This one is up there for sure. So I am beyond proud and and then also beyond excited about us continuing to grow. You know, I think we people still see we we got a lot of things to continue to grow on and get better. But I think this can be a catalyst for that. I think it will be and. Uh, our our best ball is is coming soon. So a lot in there, Grant. And I found it interesting that the locker room. It, it sounds like it wasn't. There wasn't a big rah rah speech. It sounds like you know it was probably kind of down, or I don't know if it was a confidence or whatever. But it sounds from Lincoln Riley like it. They didn't really need to do a whole lot in the second half or in the locker room to convey what needed to happen in the second half, and. The last part there about how this can be a catalyst to uh, seeing Oklahoma's best ball. We've heard this kind of stuff from Lincoln Riley before. It's this time of the year where you hope that kind of happens. We'll see if that comes to fruition. But uh, your thoughts at all on the locker room? And uh, did you anticipate maybe he would say, well, you know, I, I gave, you know, I 
got the guys together and I looked in all of their eyes and I said, guys, this is the time. Did you anticipate that was the locker room or were you kind of surprised uh, to find out that there wasn't a whole lot going on and they kind of knew what they needed to do? No, I mean, that doesn't surprise me really at all. I mean, he did, he did kind of have that giant team meeting on the field where he huddled everybody up. I think that was after it was 28-3. to And then the offense did respond after that, and they drove downfield and scored. And then, of course, Baylor had that extremely annoying drive to end the half where they, where, where they got all the time off the clock and got a field goal. Um, no, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, I, a lot of that stuff always ends up being nowhere near as dramatic as we all think it is. But, I mean... When it was 31-10 to 10 at half, I mean, I, I definitely thought they were still in it because all it really took, all it really takes in that instance is just the offense doing what they've done pretty much the last four or five years is just score, score, score. You only need two defensive stops. Um, and, of course, at that time, it seemed like that would be really difficult to achieve. Um, but, I, I mean, on the rewatch, it, it really, even in the first half, a lot of it was just a lot of stuff just really going Baylor's way. Oklahoma, if, if you go back and rewatch it, uh, it's clearly a better team than Baylor. Um, but uh, just an incredible game. Incredible game, incredible atmosphere. And what else can you say? It's like I, th- this, this podcast is probably just going to be a grab bag of different thoughts. Um, because I, the game just being at such a low and then such a high, is uh, it just doesn't happen very often. And I'm just, it's, it's sweet. There, there's a part of this game that is just extra sweet. And uh, it's crazy. Like I, I come away from that game. I, you know, I, I'm not really sure. In fact, I'm pretty sure these guys aren't. They're not really national title or maybe even playoff caliber at this point. But I don't really care. That game was so fun, and that that team showed so much character and so much grit. Uh, like, how can you not appreciate that? Did you have time to read through my opening take? Because I touched on that. I skimmed the it. Opening take. I skimmed it. Sorry. Yeah. I I didn't think that you sent it to me before the uh, before the episode. No, that's fine. That's fine. A little that's... a little inside knowledge here. Just real quick before we get more into the meat of the game, then I, I kind of want to go over just that theory. And that my theory in the opening take is that this game was the best of both worlds. It played out exactly perfectly for this team because that first half, to me, it was plenty of evidence to suggest like what you said I'm not sure that this team no I am sure I mean this is not a team that can can compete with LSU Ohio State Clemson this year but at the same time Oklahoma won the game so those slim playoff chances still are alive and it affords this team with this kind of crazy win to potentially get better and use this as a catalyst moving forward and maybe just maybe in the next couple of weeks the defense can get back to more what it looked like in the first seven weeks so again a little bit of best of both worlds it told us yes expectations for this team shouldn't really be national championship caliber and like I said in the opening take I still wasn't convinced of that until Saturday night you've convinced me Oklahoma but at the same time I am happy about the fact that Oklahoma won obviously and I want to see what a win like this could potentially do to a team. I'm not so sure it can do a whole lot X's and O's wise because we're so far into this season, but you never know. Crazier things have happened and crazy things can still happen throughout college football, the college football landscape moving forward. So your thoughts on this was kind of the best of both worlds of a result for Oklahoma. Oh, I mean, I don't, I don't know about that. I just, I'm, I'm just happy they won. I mean, that's really all it is. I, um, like it's it's not like I'm happy that I don't that I don't think that they're national title contenders up to this point. It's just I, it was just a really cool that that game was college football personified, and it was great. And it was for me, 
especially after the last episode when I was talking about how the, the playoff for me, or at least the talk and the conversation of it week to week has sort of kind of spoiled things for me. During that game, it was, it was nice just to forget about all of that just for, for a half of football and just have fun watching the team play college football. Um, and so I hope going forward, um, at least, and I don't want to talk about the playoff too much because I, I really don't care at this point in time because that game was so fun and I want, I want to focus on that. Um, but but I, I think one of the negatives of the playoff, I think instead of, of, of people talking about just how great of a college football game that was and how fun it was to watch, instantly people pivot towards what does that look for the playoff? And it's just like, eh, it, it cheapens it a little bit. Let's talk about the game. The game was fun. It was a great college football game, and that's what we should be talking about. Just real quick to give some context to why I think it's the best of both worlds. Let's say Oklahoma did come out like I wanted Oklahoma to do on Saturday and comfortably beat Baylor, but it was a game in which you could definitely tell Baylor was a bit overrated and that record is not really indicative of how good Baylor is. And maybe it was a bit of a, a smokescreen, comfortable victory for Oklahoma. And we all kind of thought, okay, Oklahoma did exactly what it needed to do against a, a really good Baylor team, whereas potentially that's not really what we saw. Our eyes kind of lied to us. And then down the road, potentially the next week against TCU or against Oklahoma State, then we saw maybe what this team was or, or could have been. And the kind of the floor dropped out of us later. I think it was nice to kind of get that out of the way against Baylor. Listen, first half they came out, and I mentioned this a little bit in the uh, the opening take. I, we haven't talked about it yet. Lincoln Riley and Alex Grinch talked about how the week of practice leading up to that game was one of the best weeks of practice they've had that they've ever seen, and that's the way they played to start the the game. That's alarming. That's not great. And I know they righted the ship after halftime, but oh boy, I mean. When you have that good of a week of practice and Oklahoma looks that unprepared for the first 30 minutes and gets that seemingly outcoached again defensively, that's not a good look. So I'm glad that that got out of the way for me. It it certainly settled what Oklahoma is in my mind. And we watch these games differently, you and I clearly do. I, I don't think playoff stuff, I don't think that cheapens anything. We can talk about this game all we want. It's still fun to talk about. And we can also talk about the playoff stuff too because – that's to me that's what this is all about is winning a national championship but at the same time I kind of have gotten right and have accepted that okay this year Oklahoma's not going to win one it's just nice for me though too moving forward that we have another game that's technically meaningful and so again I know we're we differ we differ on this subject too and uh we can move on to the the game I I suppose we haven't even talked. Let's get this out of the way first, or not first. I know we're deep into the podcast. C.D. Lamb not playing. Super surprising. It was a medical issue. Still nothing concrete in the postgame from Lincoln hey, Riley. I, um, yeah, I wanted to bring that up, Lee. I did listen um, I listened to the Sooner Scoop postgame pod this morning, and Kerry Murdoch was heavily, heavily theorizing that this was a suspension situation and had nothing to do with medical at all. So I, did I did want to put that out there. Reasons why that? Um, just he he. I think he did say based off what they had kind of heard that hmm. it sounded like it was more of a suspension thing. And they did they did start to put together some evidence um, because a lot of the um, a lot of the rumors around the medical stuff was that it was maybe like a concussion uh, stemming from last week uh, last week when he got hit on the on the punt return. Um, but then they were saying if, if it was a concussion issue, there's no way he ever would have warmed up. He never would have been out there. Um, 
and Eddie was talking about how they talked to him earlier this week and he didn't he just seems normal like nothing was wrong well yeah um, that's what's so weird about it he talked yeah. on Monday at the press conference and yeah. everything was fine and so I wouldn't yeah I I would only bring that up just because care I mean he's not he's not just gonna throw stuff out there um he 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 was like if he says it he's got he's got some evidence probably in the back of his mind to support that so that that's all okay so yeah cd lamb not playing lincoln riley was asked about that after the game i don't have any sound on that and but riley just said i'll kind of paraphrase for you he said you know you got a guy who's maybe the best receiver in america so it's hard to say it didn't factor in at all but riley said that he didn't know how to measure it said maybe a little bit it affected the way Oklahoma played to start the game, but he also added that Oklahoma had some young guys who made some plays, like when C.D. Lamb was a young guy and he made a lot of plays. So Riley said tonight will be a big night for a lot of those young guys who made a lot of plays. Absolutely. And I just want to push back on one thing Riley just said. Of, of course C.D. Lamb being out had an impact on that game. He's one of the five best offensive players in college football. A- absolutely. It had an impact. It shouldn't have had as much of an impact, though, as it looked like it did in the first half. He is, after all, a wide receiver. Wide receivers are not worth, you go by the Vegas line, they're not worth that much. Quarterbacks are. And especially considering Oklahoma's got a ton of talent on the outside, too, which we ended up seeing as the game progressed, it should not have affected the team as much as it seemed to. Yeah, theoretically, but that, I mean, CeeDee Lamb being out could totally change what Baylor wants to do on defense. It, it it frees up an extra defensive back for them. Because, I mean, they were going to have to double him. But but did it? I don't know. I didn't go back and rewatch the first half at all. Well, so I saw, I don't know well when I went like. back I and rewatched the, the first half. half, I saw a lot of man coverage across the board and getting in their face and them and them also coming up and being aggressive around the line of scrimmage. Almost like when they realized that CeeDee Lamb was out, they said, oh, screw this, we're going to tee off on these guys. Which is the, which is the correct way to go about um, going up against OU especially with, with the limitations that Hertz has shown up to this point this year. So um, what, one of my big takeaways from that game, Baylor's defense is outstanding. They, they, I mean, th- that is absolutely one of the best defenses in college football. It's a good de- – let's not go too far. Let's not get too carried away. I'm sure it's a really good defense, but this is still the Big 12. What – Oklahoma played so poorly in the uh, first half, and Oklahoma was able to wear down that defense in the second half and kept that defense on the field for the entirety of the second half. I can't remember. I didn't see time of possession plays. Wait, so you weren't that impressed with Baylor's defense in that game? I am holding judgment considering that Baylor's defense has been had by lesser offenses a bit this year. Not really. Not really at all. No. Yeah, Oklahoma State had some success against them. That was th- that was definitely the most success anyone's had against Baylor this year on defense. Oklahoma certainly had some success, but I'm not going to jump and say that it's one of the best defenses in college football because I refuse to believe that, especially considering that I, I don't know if TCU's defense, which is coming in, might be better than Baylor's defense. We'll no. see. I, I TCU's re- I defense just, is I, playing lights out right now. Although. I just really disagree with that. All right, that's fine. The, the reason why you think that is because – what Baylor did really well, and I'll give them credit for, Baylor, every single time Oklahoma got hit, Baylor brought the wood, man. Every time a player caught a pass or a running back was going down the field, Baylor hits really hard. Those guys make you feel it, and it probably takes a toll over time, and Oklahoma was able to, uh, I guess, put it back on them. 
it's a really good defense, but a really good defense like that gets off the like one of the best defenses in the country. Put it that way, gets off the field whenever you have a huge lead like that and is able to get the ball back to your offense. That that is a that's that was bad for Baylor's defense after halftime there. Well, I mean, why can't you? Why can't Oklahoma get credit in those situations? Baylor forced OU to have 12, 13, 14 play drives, and yeah, OU, no, and OU succeeded. That's, Baylor's defense is very good. I just simply, I'm not going to say it's one of the best defenses in the country. I'm not going to go that far, just based off of one game. It's not based off I think one they game. Got, I've, I think I've they got a lot up of, for Oklahoma, like everybody does. They were I've watched a lot home. of Baylor this year. They that were defense has been. Prepared. Has, has been really good in pretty much every game I've watched watched of them play. Okay. I don't think it's one of the best. I mean, when you say that one of the best in the nation, I mean, that means you're you're basically putting it in what? The top minimum top 10? Yeah, I think I th- I think it's very reasonable to say that that's one of the 10 best defenses in college football. Okay. Well, we'll see how it plays out the rest of the year. I mean, the, how how sure of tackling they are. James Lynch and Bravi and Roy are are outstanding. Um, and their secondary was great. They were active. They tackle well. Um, Terrell Bernard is really good. Um, that's a guy I wanted them to attack going into the game. And I don't really think you can attack him. He's good. He's very good. Um, I just, yeah, I was really impressed by that defense. What do you want to talk about in the first half? Because most of my thoughts are in the second half whenever the game got good for Oklahoma. And we can keep it positive because, uh, let's see, first half stuff offensively weirdly we saw Jalen Hurts put the ball on the ground like Kyler Murray did against Texas last year that was a massive turnover that led to a Baylor touchdown let's see I mean Jalen Hurts's interception was horrible that was returned yeah. all the way into the what red a really zone. bad decision that was just a I mean terrible decision there and just after a, the game I mean, on, on the opposite hash that was a long throw and I like I I wrote here in my notes on the rewatch. It looked like the ball was in the air for like five seconds. I mean, just not a good decision at all. No, and it wasn't there. It, it was never there. Um, let's see. I mean, I know what he was trying to do. He was trying to zip a back shoulder throw to Basquin, but he just he just didn't have the zip on. Well, he, he doesn't, doesn't have, have the arm, arm for it. I mean, that's like a. I mean, that that's probably close to like a like a forty or forty five yard throw, right? Because it, it's from the it's opposite a throw hash? That he, he can't, yeah. It's, he doesn't have the arm strength to make that throw. He just doesn't. And even on the, you know, and, and Jalen Hurts is not going to be confused with Baker Mayfield or Kyler Murray. We all know that, accuracy-wise or arm strength-wise. In the first half, I know you watched it more than I did on the rewatch. What notes do you have? What do you want to touch on in the first half? And then we'll go from there, and then we'll get that out of the way until we get to the good stuff in the second half. Well, yeah, Anything I want to start on I want to start on defense in the first half uh, because – the, the thing that was absolutely driving me insane watching it live and then again on the rewatch was just uh, was was Charlie Brewer being able to scramble and, and up the middle of the field. And so I did notice that uh, some of his scrambles and, I, and I'm kind of using air quotes here were designed runs because you could tell because the offensive line was peeling out and looking at and going out to block someone. But it did seem like a lot of those plays that they were running did have a read attached to it for Brewer. And he was essentially just watching the middle of the field. Whenever the middle of the field vacated, he instantly took off and ran every single time. And that was, in the first half, that was a big part of Baylor's game plan. You could tell because they knew going in that they weren't going to really hold up very well on the offensive line. And that did come to fruition. They struggled to block OU's offensive line uh, in pass protection the entire game. But Brewer 
a lot of the time, especially in the first half, was was able to step up and was able to get five, six yards. He had a couple of really big runs as well. Um, I think that is the one thing right now, especially going into TCU next week, they have to clean it up because, you know, Max, I mean, TCU is going to run that all day long because that's what Max Duggan does. He runs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, they have got to clean up. The, uh, the the quarterback draw and the quarterback scrambles at the middle of the field. It is it's killing them. And in the second half, Alex Grinch talked about how his keys to the second half was one. He mentioned that Ronnie Perkins was relentless up front, and he was yeah. Really Ronnie good. Perkins had the best game of his career so far. And also in the second half, you think as much as anything, he he you know he thought Ronnie Perkins just changed the way that Baylor's backfield was feeling, and also. He mentioned that Oklahoma was not allowing get-out-of-jail-free cards in terms of scrambling for Charlie Brewer. So whatever they did after halftime... They started spying him with Deshaun White. They weren't spying him at all in the first half, which is... Yes, they were. They were were spying him at times. Yes. They were, okay. Early in the game, they were. And then one of the plays that in the second quarter when he scrambled, and I can't remember when it was, but he wasn't being spied... And I tweeted about it because I have no idea what Kenneth Murray was doing. He literally ran himself out of the play when they were playing zone coverage, and he just followed the running back. And so in a play where he definitely wasn't spying Brewer, Brewer easily was able to pick up chunk yard. I can't remember if it was second down or third down. But they weren't just not spying him. They were, I mean, early Kenneth on in the Murray game. Kenneth Murray had another were, rough game. And he played well in the second half, and, and I mean everyone did for the most everyone, part. But yeah, everyone in the second half played it's, well. It's, it's hit and miss, I think. They're not always spying these guys. I noticed early on, I mean, you could tell early on that Baylor was running plays with Charlie Brewer almost to test out to see if he was being spied. And even though he was, it, he was still gaining a couple yards here and there. Uh, so that's really hard to see unless you look really carefully for it every single play. And I, I haven't suppose done a maybe. full rewatch to see. If, I suppose maybe I need to yeah. go back just because whenever Brewer did burn them up the middle or anywhere, they weren't spying him in any of those instances. And just in, in my mind, that happened a lot. I mean, that happened a double digit amount of times. And so whenever they're not spying him, he's burning them on that. That's just that's that's something that sticks in my head. So and I remember I just want to know. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say in the second half, there was a um, they called one of those like sort of delayed draws for Brewer and uh, Ronnie Perkins actually got a sack on it because Deshaun White stayed right in the middle of the field. He was anticipating it, and Ronnie Perkins actually did a really good job of keeping contain. Deshaun White was right there in the gap that Brewer was going to go into, and then so uh, Brewer had to actually he had to he had to scramble out to his right, and Ronnie Perkins was right there because he did a good job of keeping contain for the sack. And so that was just an example of another adjustment that they made, and um, it, it's actually kind of hard. I went, I mean, rewatching it in the second half. It's hard to actually get a, a great, like a wonderful gauge of the defense because they only had to defend sixteen plays. And right, and that's that's the kind of like little asterisk next to this too. The defense played really well; they did its job, but they should have played well. They were barely on the field. They should have been incredibly rested the entire time because the offense was out there for so long. But they and they, but they did make adjustments that I saw in the second half. There were there were plays that that were working for Baylor in the first half. That, that they went back to in the second half when they needed to have them, and OU was either anticipating them or you know they, they adjusted and they made a play. Uh, Pat Fields ma- made a play on, on a corner route that they were kind of getting burned on a lot in the first half, which was nice. Um, the on, aforementioned on the sack on Brewer. We're still talking about the first half. Yeah, sorry. I, I want to keep this making sense because 
when I'm putting these notes down for all the details that it's really annoying and it sucks when I have to go back and forth from like, oh, here's this thing and there's this thing. Let's keep it. Okay, well, I have it. Stick with the first half. I have it broken down by quarter. Like, so what do you want you? What do you want me to say? They they could not stop Brewer on a quarterback draw in the first quarter, and they really couldn't stop Denzel Mims. Okay, and they and, and they turned it over. That was that was the story of the first half. A couple of things that I just wrote down first half wise that bothered me was I can't remember if it was the first touchdown or the second touchdown Baylor got. The play before it was the swing pass over to the running back that got Baylor down to like the one yard line where Oklahoma blitzed Brendan Radley Hiles and he ran past the running back going to the quarterback and Brewer flipped it over to the running back who had nobody there covering him and it was man coverage and so at this time I didn't know who was responsible for the running back when I was watching it because it looked like Radley Hiles was blitzing and I thought okay maybe there's a bust I don't know if Radley Hiles is supposed to when he sees the running back scored out like that, go with him and let the rest of his team get to the quarterback or what. But then the, after the commercial break, they brought it back and Herb Street was talking about that play and they showed a cutaway to Alex Grinch yelling at Brendan Radley Hiles on the sidelines after that play. And it kind of made me think, okay, well, that was on Brendan Radley Hiles. And so, my goodness, man, it's so late in the year. If your job on that play is to blitz, but if you see the running back I don't even know. Maybe he was in, in charge of the running back. Maybe he was supposed to just be man coverage. It's just, how do you blow assignments like that? It's a, That's so annoying to me, and Grinch looked really mad about that. So On TV, I, I thought you could read Grinch's lips. He was saying, do your job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw that too. And that's we talked uh, to Kenneth Murray last week, and he said that lack of focus and players not doing their jobs is a big reason why the defense has been so bad. Do your job, everybody. You know what you're supposed to do each play. Just do it. I've never understood the mentality of trying to go out of your way and, and just doing something that's not your job because it's a team game. So that really annoyed me in the first half, that play. And then another play that really annoyed me in the first half when Oklahoma was down 28-10 to 10 late in the second quarter on third and 11 when Baylor maybe get Baylor off the field. There was not much time left. Maybe get a punt, go score, get a field goal before. It was third and 11, and Denzel Mims lined up with tight splits to the boundary, and Pardo Motley was playing 11 yards off the ball, which is fine. It's third down and long. But he was also playing Mims head up, and this should be just a really easy read for Parnell Motley of what Mims is probably going to do, but it ended up being a really easy read for Charlie Brewer because he just looked out. Denzel Mims ran an out route and threw an easy pitch and catch at Denzel Mims as Parnell Motley certainly wasn't anticipating that. And that's looked like where the same play that they scored a touchdown on to Mims. I think their first touchdown of the game. Same play. I think it was also a touchdown pass earlier in the game after the interception returned and That's that corner so. route that I was that I was referencing. They 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 went to that multiple times over the course of the game. Usually in in like in in second and third and long to go situations. And so here's what I wanted to bring up with this, this is my only notes of the first half, and then you can say any more, and then we can get to the second half. You know, I want to defend Pardon Motley a little bit for a second on this play because he has been incredibly good in coverage this season. He was the deep safety, essentially, on that play. So if Mims does beat him deep, it's a touchdown because there's no help behind him. So he's got to keep everything in front of him. So I understand why he kind of had that 10 to 11-yard cushion, but it still doesn't seem like he was anticipating that out route. My question is, where is the aggressive at the line of scrimmage jamming that we saw the first five to seven games of the season? 
it looked like the team in the last three games is playing more scared. And I thought that was evidence just more of Alex Grinch's kind of kind of loss at that point. And I know that Denzel Mims is really good, but Parnell Motley is really good too. And what's happened to bring in the fight to the receivers? Maybe if Parnell Motley was still playing that same principal coverage of a deep third, but playing a little bit tighter, it would have been a, a much more difficult throw and read for Charlie Brewer to make that play on that third down. And instead it made it easy. So that's the point I want to bring up. We have not seen that aggressiveness, it seems like, as much from Oklahoma's secondary on the outside recently as we had earlier. And that's that's a problem that could be a problem moving forward. Makes what me wonder if, first if Grinch was scared off because Jaden Davis was up playing bump and run on Mims in the first quarter when he burned him for the first touchdown of the game, right? Or was right. that the second I mean, that touchdown? Was, it was one of the touchdowns. They all run together. I don't know. But, I mean, that was just a really good play. It was a good throw. And Mims, a very savvy receiver, kind of used his arm to get separation that wasn't offensive pass interference, but it was a very savvy move. I mean, that was a nice play. You know, you can't get discouraged by just nice plays every once in a while. So I wasn't that thrown off by that play, to be honest with you. But, yeah, maybe that was a factor. It certainly would make sense. What else you got? Well, I, I mean, should we move over to – I mean, yeah, the, the defense was not good in the first in the first half, I think. But also, I mean, they were put in some pretty tough situations. They had – two instances where they had to they had to defend an, ex, an incredibly short field I think inside the 20 both times um that's a good I think point. another one of their touchdown drives Baylor started at at their own 45 so basically midfield um I, I feel like OU's defense has been has had to defend some really short fields lately okay I mean the overall stats after the game look pretty good but that's mainly because the second half was so one-sided all right, so we already played Lincoln Riley talking about the locker room at halftime. You know what? Let's play Jalen Hurts. Let's just have Jalen Hurts' thoughts after the game, and this could maybe propel us into talking about the second half. We're out there battling, and, you know, their leader made some mistakes, and we all found ways to overcome it together. shows the character we have. It shows the... the the, the the perseverance we have, you know, talk about, I think I've said this before, you talk about me being a new guy, me being placed on a whole different team, a team that I prepared for last year in a bowl game. Um, talk about not knowing the identity of what we are. And I think we're a, a football team that when we have the right focus, um, the right in energy and enthusiasm all throughout the organization. Um, I think pretty pretty good, pretty good. So that's a testament to the hard work, the belief we had in each other, and the will not to the, of, of not being denied. So a guy who turned the ball over twice in the first half came out, let his team down for a touchdown to begin the second half, and then after the defense. We got a takeaway, which we can talk about at some point. Hurts turned the ball over near the goal line, which could have been devastating. But as a team, the defense came out, picked him up, and overall, you heard it from Jalen Hurts. It's a cliche in sports because we've heard it over and over and over again from many different teams and players. Team is so important, and wins like this are so big. But it's it's not uh, it's it's not insignificant to talk about how important that was for this team, especially considering last week they overcome, overcame 
some bad play late and got that win somehow. And they just never doubted themselves. And so anyways, I'm not sure if that really pro- projected us into the second half, but I just wanted to play some sound to break it up. Second half, Grant. First drive. Let's begin here. I, I want to talk about some of the big plays in the game that led up to everything falling in Oklahoma's way. And that's what I mostly have notes on, too. And I know you have second half notes as well. And that first drive of the third quarter, here are the big plays that I saw on that drive. Third down and 13, Baylor had just accepted a holding penalty that pushed Oklahoma back to the Baylor 31. And Oklahoma called a nice mesh concept underneath. Lincoln Riley's very good at those. And Hertz finds Charleston Rambo on the crosser, untouched, goes 28 yards down to the three-yard line. And then on third down and goal later, he throws that touchdown pass to Austin Stogner. Very good throw by Jalen Hurts there, by the way, as he extended the play and was able to throw it back towards the field. So the third down play to Rambo was huge, and then it ended up with Oklahoma scoring the touchdown to Stogner. Your thoughts on that opening drive of the third quarter? Yeah, there's also uh, there's also a couple of big throws to Lee Morris at the beginning of that drive as well. Uh, this was the drive when we started to see Lee Morris kind of or uh, we we started to see Hertz kind of develop some sort of connection with Morris, which which continued on in the second half as well. And I want to talk about that, and we will of course. Uh, but yeah, that was uh, especially Matt Rule accepting that holding penalty. That was one that I circled for sure, uh, just because I, I don't I did not understand that. I would not have accepted that at all. Um, you're giving Oklahoma a really explosive offense with a lot of playmakers another down, essentially. And what's 13 yards to that offense? That that was a and I know hindsight's 2020 in this instance, but uh, I not a not a good decision by rule. I, I thought it was a bad decision right when it happened. And uh, you know, there you go. You get you get Charleston Rambo in space, and 28 yards later, and OU is right back. I didn't right think it in. was that. I didn't think it was that bad of a decision considering Baylor's defense had been playing incredibly well and been dominating Oklahoma most of the game. Fourth down and three, you know they're going to go for it. Lincoln Riley's not kicking there. Only three yards of this offense. I'm sure Rule thought, you know what? Three yards is not that much. Third and 13, potentially I can get. You know, my defense is playing so well. I can get a good call here and, and get him fourth down and longer. I, I didn't think it was that bad of a bad of a call to accept that penalty. I understood it. Given the way I mean, Baylor's I, under- I understand playing. it. I just, I, I just wouldn't have done it. I thought it was a t- I, I, I thought, I thought that's something you probably do accept against most teams that you play, but I, I just, I wouldn't have done it against Oklahoma. I'm curious. Oklahoma might call that same exact play on fourth and three, but Baylor might have more guys up near the line of scrimmage and exactly. might be more ready for that play, and they might have, yeah, maybe. I just, yeah. OU seems to be more comfortable with just when they have more space, right? And if it's if it's fourth and short, well, I, presumably there'd be a lot less space to operate. All right, so 31-17, then Baylor gets the ball back. And this was, there's many potential turning points in the game, Grant, but this has got to be, yep, this has got to be turning point number one for me because you just see Oklahoma's offense do its job. They get the ball. By the way, this is why I love Oklahoma. Lincoln Riley always defers to the second half because if you are trailing big at the half, you get the ball coming out of the locker room. I love that, and it worked out perfectly for them this time, getting the ball and going down and scoring a touchdown. That's exactly what you hope for. Baylor gets the ball, though, Grant, and what happens? Very first snap, Jamichael Hasty breaks one. <laughs> Jamichael Hasty is going up the sideline, and all the momentum Oklahoma just got. Okay, offense, great. Now it's your turn, defense. Very first snap, the defense gives up a big play. But what happens? Parnell Motley comes out behind Jamichael Hasty. Punches the ball out, 
Oklahoma recovers, and just like that, the Sooners, for the first time since September, have an official takeaway, Grant. And at the time, from the wide angle, I thought Hasty literally just dropped the ball. I didn't know that Parnell Motley had punched it out from behind. So I thought, oh my God, that Oklahoma forced its first takeaway by the other team literally just dropping the ball and giving it right to them. But no, upon replay, you see that it was a great play by Motley, punching the ball out. And Hasty too, had two hands on the ball. He was covering it with two hands, and Motley still was able to punch it out. That was the turning point, I think, because all this emotion of, oh my gosh, the defense is giving up, this explosive run play, Baylor's grabbing all the momentum back, and then boom, a takeaway for the Oklahoma defense, which hasn't happened in six games, five games. Your thoughts on that play? Well, I mean, I... And, and I'm actually going to be curious to hear what other people say. So let so let us know after you hear this. But when that happened, I I kind of got a jolt of energy, and I immediately started to think, I was like, holy crap, they're going to win this game, aren't they? And just because that was, I mean, that was a massive momentum shift. And of course, the Sooners gave it right back about six or seven plays later. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it just it just kind of felt like the tide shifting there. Just because it had been so long, at, at, at that point, five and a half games without a turnover. The statistical likelihood of that are just so remote, especially with all of the havoc and the passes defended that they've had. And then they finally got what they needed, I think, the entire time, which was a little bit of fumble luck. And that's what happened. Um, and of course, you give, you give Motley credit uh, for making that play and punching it out. But how many times do you actually punch for the ball and nothing happens? A vast majority of the time. Um, and so for it to finally happen was it, it's sort of if you believe in that sort of stuff or momentum or a sign or anything, that was it. And um, of course, it was disappointing that Hertz gave it away, you know, later on the next drive. Um, but Lee, I got to tell you, right, right after OU, um, right after they turned it over after that defense got a three and out. Yeah. And real quick, one last note on that takeaway. Alex Grinch after the game said, not surprisingly, Grinch said the takeaway was a big relief for me. And it's pretty interesting, too, because Parnell Motley, we were talking to him earlier this week, and he was the one that was saying that he thinks a problem is that in practice they're stripping at the ball and going for the ball quite a bit. But then when the games are here, they're just focusing more on the tackle, bringing the guy down. And so, boom, you know, five days later, four days later after we talked to him, they bring it over into the game and not just going for the tackle they actually were going punching the stripping the ball out and it was the guy that was talking about Parnell Molly so that was kind of neat that he was the one that the force a turnover there and so yeah so of course you know the the thing with Jalen Hurts gets down to the goal line and that could have been like the fumble the takeaway Oklahoma got that could have been equally as deflating for Oklahoma with oh my gosh literally going to go in to score to make it a seven point game and Hurts gets the ball punched out by James Lynch the big guy which we haven't talked about it all in this podcast, but I think Oklahoma must have done a pretty good job. They did a good job him. on him. They did. I don't remember hearing much from him except for that play. Bravian and Roy game, was much more impactful than Lynch was in that game. And after the game, Jalen Hurts said, my ball security, it sucks, so I'll fix it. He was pretty blunt about that. He is very, very right about that. That is That has obviously been a problem this season. But yeah, and you mentioned, though, after the Hurts fumble, Ronnie Perkins, upfield, gets a tackle for loss on Brewer on a zone read and immediately put Baylor behind the chains on first down right after they got that momentum of that fumble recovery. And not to mention, not just a fumble recovery, they got a personal foul against Marquise Hayes, so they got extra yards on top of that. 
It was and a weak. It was a weak call too. I agree. That I was agree. weak sauce, man. I agree. That was. It was even more weak sauce than Buki's last week. I thought. Uh, yeah, I agree with that too. You know, who knows? There might have been some some verbal part of that as well that may have added to the push. You always got to think about what they're saying. That could also add, but that's just speculation because oh, we don't but know. What a yeah! What a weak sauce call in an extremely physical game. It was I a mean, very physical game, yeah. And you're you're gonna flag someone for a shove? Yeah, Ugh, that's, pretty, that's so pretty weak lame. sauce. Pretty lame. But you know, Perkins gets that tackle for loss right after Baylor gets the ball back, and then later on third. Actually, I think the second down play was that play you referenced a while back with Patrick Fields defending a corner route really well, going up and and making a, a PBU or preventing a catch near the sideline. And then on third down and 13, Parnell Motley on a running back screen, Motley fought through an offensive lineman block just enough to get a piece of Lovett to slow him up, and that allowed Motley's teammates to rally and make that tackle before the first down chains, which made it a three and out for Oklahoma. So give credit to Parnell Motley. That was a huge play on third down just to get a piece of Lovett to slow him up and let his teammates rally to the ball. That was big. And then the next drive, Oklahoma gets the football back. And I'm, what we're doing right now is I'm going through all the key plays in my mind, and you can kind of fill in the blanks wherever I miss something. Can so I it's guess? Can I? I was just, I was gonna say, is this the third and three throw to Morris? No, go ahead. I had no. I was gonna say on the very next drive, um, very next drive on on the first set of downs, Baylor gets OU in a third down. Uh, it's third and three, and Hertz makes a really nice anticipation throw to Lee Morris. Uh, that's the one where Morris extended and caught it with his fingertips. Oh yeah, for a first down, and I just thought that was uh, Baylor couldn't literally couldn't do anything about that. Just perfect timing, perfect throw, perfect catch, uh, and I just thought. And when you go back and rewatch it, that was over and over again for Jalen Hurts in the second half. I just, and I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but I just Jalen Hurts did have a really special second half of football. So it must have been Outside later that in that fumble. drive because my play that was on that ensuing drive was on third and five from the Oklahoma 36 whenever Hertz With threw underneath to Theo Weiss. I have that too. And Theo Weiss just out-talents the Baylor defenders. Breaks not one, but two tackles. Picks up 12 yards and the first down. And this was kind of the beginning, Grant, I think, of five-star wide receiver talent that would be a huge part of this game I guess you want to throw in I know Austin Stogner I think was a high like four star he had a couple touchdown catches early but he's you know pass catcher uh, so Stogner obviously involved in this game as well but man that play by Theo Weiss on third and five that was very reminiscent not as much of an explosive play but kind of reminiscent to you know Marquise Brown against West Virginia last year caught the ball short of the sticks and had to break a tackle to pick up a first down I think it might have been a fourth down play on that one too third or fourth I don't know but uh, anyways, that was just a great play by Theo Weiss. Yeah, and I just this is, and I hope this game is the catalyst for starting to maybe making more of an effort to get those guys the ball because we saw another. We Jaden Hazelwood made a really nice play over the middle of the field yep. on an RPO where he caught it kind of right at the sticks. He was able to shake and shimmy and get an extra seven yards out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we we've seen it from those guys. I mean those 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 three receivers. Bridges, Weiss, and and uh, and Hazelwood—they've shown multiple instances this year of being really good after the catch. Weiss's first kind of evidence of it in, in this past game, but Hazelwood, of course, had a really good uh, end of September, and and Bridges had kind of has kind of had some flashes at times. But 
Yeah, and I think once we all found out that CeeDee Lamb was going to be out of this game, I think a lot of us instantly started to think to ourselves, if OU is going to win, I kind of feel like these five-star receivers yeah. are going to have to make a play, right? Yes, and they, exactly. They did. they did. Absolutely. And continuing on that drive, this is the next thing that I had, is that they showed the replays on, on the broadcast. It looked like Ramondre Stevenson got a pretty generous spot on that third down and short run where he was short of the sticks. And I don't know if he was a yard a yard short of where – or if the ball was spotted a yard farther than it was. Either way, it was fourth and one, and Jalen Hurts did a very nice job of lunging for that fourth, uh, that fourth down conversion to get the first down. But, man, when I saw it was fourth and one and they were in the shotgun with Hurts, I, that always kind of – I realized that the idea of probably to get some more momentum of him running downhill, but ew, I was – I was a bit uneasy with that play call and that snap with Hurts in the shotgun on fourth and one and a really huge fourth down play, Grant. But it worked out. And then the very next play, Theo Weiss again. And that was the catch and run touchdown where he just showed incredible skills after the catch. And it's huge because it's great that the timing was precise by Jalen Hurts because he was hit immediately after he released that football. And if he would have pumped or the timing would have been off just slightly that could have been a disaster and it wasn't Weiss was afforded the chance to make a play and he did and just like that Grant the game was a touchdown spread 31-24 yeah so I watch uh, I have Hulu TV so I'm streaming everything so I'm like probably about a 30 to 45 second delay uh, uh, on cable and yeah you uh, you you ruined that Theo Weiss touchdown for me um, you text <laughs> it was during um you, you texted me something along... I, I think you texted me, five-star receivers, baby. <laughs> That's exactly um, what I texted you, yes. And when, yeah, when you texted that to me, they were still reviewing the spot on, on Hertz's first down. And I was just like... I, I saw it, and I was just like, oh, oh I was like, who's it going to be? Who's going to make the play? Because I, I, I figured they scored, probably. If, <laughs> like, I, I don't know why else you would text me that. And I, yeah, I wasn't mad. I was just like, oh, sweet. They're going to score. I'm excited to see how. Yeah, sometimes spoiler alerts aren't terrible. Those are the good spoiler alerts. Oh but, yeah, uh, for that sure. was that was definitely a a tell for me to not to, if I was going to text you later to kind of wait longer. But yeah, I also yeah. made a uh, I, I made a note here, Lee, because after that drive um, and after we scored on my rewatch this morning, I made a note here, and then I this was the first time it kind of clicked for me, and I realized wow, hurts in the pocket so far in the second half, just much more aware than he was in the first half. And it kind of started to look like he was figuring out what Baylor wanted to do to the point where he was not surprised whenever pressure was coming. It seemed like he knew where the pressure was coming from. And he was, he always knew where to step up in the pocket, where the, where the extra space was. And he was doing a really good job of keeping his eyes downfield. And when there was stuff there for him to take and run, he would do it as well. And, uh, I just Hertz was Hertz outside of that fumble was nearly flawless in the second half. He was he was very very good. Mhm. Very nice. So 31-24. Let's go to the next Baylor drive. Third down and 9 and this was one of the biggest breaks of the game for Oklahoma Grant. Tyquan Thornton just drops the ball. Would have been a first down near the sidelines. Literally just drops the ball. Great throw by Charlie Brewer. Oklahoma, very fortunate. It's a three and out again. And when that happened, it's it, you know you know all of Baylor's fans in the sideline were thinking, "You gotta be kidding me!" I, that I mean, I kind of 
man, I kind of feel bad for Taekwondo. I mean, that ball was right. In, it's like he's probably like wondering, how did I drop that? <laughs> it was right there. It all evens so, out eventually. It all evens out, you know, and sometimes you just sometimes breaks happen. And that was obviously a break. Um, but yeah, sometimes receivers drop passes and sometimes receivers catch passes they have no business catching. Um, and I, it does it, it does even out eventually. And you know what? Baylor did have one they in the first half, they had one pass and catch that I, I gotta think had less than a five percent chance of being completed and they got it. And I'm just saying stuff like that evens out. And the the, the play I'm referencing is it was in the first quarter. I think it was on Baylor's first scoring drive. Uh, Brewer threw an RPO pass over the middle. Um, that was caught by Denzel Mims in one of the smallest windows I have ever seen. And that was also with Parnell Motley's hand in, in Mims's bread basket. And all I'm saying is stuff like that evens out. It just does. I love a, a scientific study of it all evens out because that's one of the most used thoughts in around baseball like oh it all evens out you know you hit the ball hard you line out but hey you'll get a little bloop single there's no way of knowing that everything all evens out but it's still a fun thing to say i just would love an actual study on that to see if that is true or false (laughs) both teams make both teams make mistakes that leave that you know that leave yards and plays on the field all the time I'm sure you can go through the the tape again, and I, I bet you could point out some instances where OU had stuff blocked up really well that may have resulted in like a 40 or 50 yard gain or a touchdown, and that the receiver or or that the running back or Jalen Hurts just missed the hole. I, I'm sure you could do that, and that's I mean that's the same thing. It just is more magnified because it came in a really really big spot, and it just happens sometimes. They're human beings. So Oklahoma gets a three and out after Thornton drops that pass on third down. And the next Oklahoma drive, the big play for me on that drive, and again, fill in the blanks that there's something before this. Third and eight from the Oklahoma 35. Little dump off pass to Kennedy Brooks, and Brooks has to make a guy miss to get the first down. And oh boy, does he ever, as Kennedy Brooks is wont to do, picks up 11 yards to keep the drive going. And that drive led to the third and goal touchdown pass to Braden Willis and so I just wanted to highlight Kennedy Brooks man that one of my favorite play calls of the game really liked that play call clear everyone out from the middle of the field dump it off to Kennedy Brooks with lots of space and your gamble there is can Kennedy Brooks make one man miss with lots of space yeah probably yeah probably exactly and he did and he did he he did did. like he he left the guy in the dust And so, again, that led to the third and goal touchdown pass to Braden Willis. And just like that, by the way, good for uh, – see if you're like me. I, when that play was unfolding, the touchdown to Willis, I saw Willis squirt out, and he was wide open. I said, oh, he's got him. Hopefully he sees him. And Hertz did see him. Thank God. That I was know a, that um, came through your mind too. But, yep, boy, I was yeah, for really sure, because concerned that, that he wouldn't see him. That play was a very similar concept to Stogner's second touchdown of the game where where they they, they overflo- they flooded that side of the field with receivers and there was only two defensive backs there and so Hurts his read is literally just you just throw to the guy that they don't account for. And that's I mean that that's tough. I think on the on the first one to Stogner they they sent Rambo in motion and they had him go to that side, and they had a, a tight end on the back side. I think it was Willis on the first play, and they had Stogner, and they were basically all running the same route, and Baylor just couldn't account for everybody, and they ran pretty much the exact same concept just from a different formation on, on that touchdown. 
and that's I, I like that play. That's it's just a really difficult play to defend unless you're unless you're looking out for it. So the touchdown happens. Uh, Sooners tie it up, and so of course Baylor gets the football back. And the very first play of this drive, really easy pass interference call against Parnell Motley. He just was all over Denzel Mims. Oh, did you Baylor- not see? Okay. Here's where I'm going to have to disagree with you because, and maybe I'm wrong on the rules. You can, you're the defensive back. Let me know here. Because Mims was, Mims grabbed Motley very clearly first and had him like, and was actually kind of riding him down the field. And Motley sort of grabbed in, in response to that. What's like, what's, what's the call there? Who's, who's more aggrieved? Hold on. Let me watch the replay. Got it right here. Because Mims clearly interfered with Motley before Motley even really laid a hand on him. So I'm watching it. There's hand fighting, as there usually is. Mims kind of grab, but like he lets go, and then Motley just basically grabs and pulls him down at the end of the play. I mean, that's easy. That's easy on Motley. Okay. I mean, okay. Like you can't. I mean, you get beat. You start pulling them down. I mean, they might. They're gonna miss some of the hand fighting things like that early on. Um, like but, it was one of those so yeah, things I, where it's like it's it's very understandable in that moment. Like I wasn't mad or anything because Motley obviously was grabbing him. I guess I I just didn't know what. How relevant is it that Mims was grabbing Motley just as bad before Motley grabbed him? Um, no, I mean, Motley ended up grabbing him way worse than Mims ever did, and it was just unnecessary. He didn't need to do it because he still had position, so that's just bad technique. And you got to, I mean, you have to be strong enough. You got to play with that. That's part of the deal of being a corner, too. So that, so that happened, and you know, it's a little bit of momentum for Baylor, right? I mean, they get 15 yards there. It's the first time they've really moved the ball in the second half, the exception of the one play where they ended up fumbling at the end of it. But here's the thing, oh, we though. Didn't, hey, we, we didn't go back to that the the play where they fumbled as well, where, where Motley punched it out. It never should have happened because Kenneth Murray should have been right there for a gain of one yard. He just, oh. I mean, did you not? That play was actually defended nearly perfectly, except Murray just overran the gap and Hasty oh. was able to squirt through. Oh yeah, oh, I didn't Murray notice had that. A, Murray had a rough game. He he didn't. There, he he made some nice kind of open field tackles at times, uh, but when you when you get him in traffic and you you make him kind of get through a bunch of muck, he really struggles. He really struggles. Well, after the Parnell Motley PI, he didn't struggle on the next play. On first down, he came up, got a tackle for loss on a run play, was able to to get through all the garbage up front and get in there. And he had a little bit of help too, but that was a big play to get Baylor behind the chains after the PI. Then on second down, it was Ronnie Perkins coming up big. He got a pass rush on Charlie Brewer, which forced Brewer to leave the pocket and then throw it away. And then on third down, mentioned Motley a moment ago with the PI, he made up for it, I thought, because he played Denzel Mims's double move perfectly. Mims tried to do a little stop and go, and Motley, his hips were sunk. He was moving his feet. He stopped, but then he was able to turn his hips and move and run with them again. It forced a pretty small window for Charlie Brewer to throw the ball into as they went deep to Mims because they thought that the they thought the double move would get Mims pretty wide open. But Motley was there step for step. He had Patrick Fields coming over the top two with a little bit of help. It made that window for Brewer even smaller than it would have been. That's a tough throw, anyways. And technically incomplete pass technically that was a three and out even though there was that initial penalty that extended the drive so wanted to highlight motley for making up for that and playing that third down play very well 
Yeah, and that was the that was kind of the moment I start like I just it was in my head I was thinking, wow, the defense has been nails in the second half, and and up and up to that point they had been. Um, they had made all the plays that they needed to make, and um, yeah, it's 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 nice to see Motley get beat on kind of a similar play earlier in the drive that results in a penalty, and then he just he makes up for it. What three plays later, mm-hmm. and he, he plays it perfectly. So I mean that's that's great to see because how many times have we seen this defense in the last two two or three games just be victimized by the same thing seemingly over and over again, and it's nice that it didn't happen in that occasion. Um, I mean, yeah, the defense was the defense was really great in the second half, and that's that's fun to see, obviously. So Baylor punts. Thank goodness the officials didn't call Oklahoma for roughing the kicker. They just called him for running into the kicker, which I think was the right call. But kudos to the Baylor punter. He did exactly what he needed to do to sell that. Very well done. That could have been obviously huge if it would have been roughing. It would have been a free. I mean, that's a turnover essentially for Oklahoma, giving the ball back to Baylor. So that didn't happen. And then my notes kind of stopped from here, Grant, because I ran out of time because we needed to start recording. But you might have more. I'm kind of trying to watch as we go. No, yeah, I I got it. I can can tell you pretty much what happened on. All right, so so I'll let you run this then. Yep, so the Sooners get the ball back, and Hertz is actually sacked on the very first play of the next drive. Uh, he loses six yards. Butley, the very next play, is Kennedy Brooks's 32-yard run. Man, what a run. What a run. What a and you know what? play. And I'm glad. That is my f- that's, that's been their best run concept this season. It almost seems like every time they run that play, it does it results in a chunk play. And, and I, I just I really love that play. Because it puts the defense in a bind and, and hurts when he holds it a long time. It forces Baylor to make a decision. And uh, for whatever reason, I Kennedy Brooks gets that corner really quickly a lot of the time. And I I wouldn't be surprised if we see if, if we see that a lot more because I, I think that's just been a really successful concept for them this year. I'm watching it right now. What I like about this play the most is Obviously, how Brooks gets the corner and turns it up and is not even touched by the safety who's coming in to try to make the play, who doesn't set the edge. But then at the very end, Brooks just both arms like, you are not getting this football out. <laughs> I am holding on to this football for dear life. There's no way I'm going to fumble this thing. Just Kennedy Brooks, such an aware player, such a smart player, really good player, man. And it's it was his game. By the way, it's nice to see that Ramondre Stevenson was active and playing, and I know that Dean Blevins, my boss at News 9, had heard that Ramondre was dealing with a bit of an ankle thing after that game. I speculated that I was wondering if the reason why Stevenson didn't play much more after that one carry against Iowa State was he was dealing with some sort of injury. I think that was the case. It must Hopefully it was just a bit minor, and Stevenson can get more to 100% moving forward to TCU. So anyways, all right, so after the Brooks run, what's next? The next big play that, that uh, you found here we go I write more Lee Morris another first down on an RPO and I think that was one where Lee uh, I, I think he just kind of sat down and found the soft spot of the defense um, is, is, this, is this a good time to, to mention how good Lee Morris was on Saturday night yes what a game a great time what a ge- what a veteran senior game that was from him and he took a shot he took a lot of shots in the game making catches taking punishment yeah, I mean, when you have a guy like C.D. Lamb out, you have a guy like Lee Morris, a walk-on player who's such a veteran player who's contributed so much to this program, to step up like that, along with you get the flash plays by Theo Weiss, play by Jaden Hazelwood, one of them, and 
it's just you know Charleston Rambo that big third down in the third quarter that he converted. Um, yeah, yeah, good for Lee Moore. Such a oh I, okay. So I'm watching back. I, you, this might be on your list too. The next one though is it the first down play after that play to Morris, where Creed Humphrey has a bad snap. Oh yes, did you mark, that is that. Did you mark that down? That was huge. What a well, that mean, was what just a play a by Hurts. Brilliant, brilliant play by Jalen Hurts to not to not uh, to not panic to pick up the ball and to know that you immediately need to get out of the tackle box and just just huck it as far as you can. What a great play by Jalen Hurts because that's I I, I think that's Ooh. that's a difficult play to make under those circumstances because I think a lot of the time football instincts tell you just to jump on the ball just to get on it but he knew that you cannot take that loss of yardage and he was able to pick it up and and throw it away that was a great play that was a great great play agreed I mean that is a fantastic heady quarterback play that uh, was crucial in that time of the game yep. so and it saved it because Oklahoma OU ends up getting a because mm-hmm. OU did not get a Go first ahead. down after that um and it, it saved it it uh it it made so that the field goal was possible and then um you know what else what else can we say about Gabe Burkich up to this point other than he is money I mean, what a season. He's he's awesome. Like I uh, he is okay, so let's quickly talk about this. I as far as I could tell in the postgame presser, I watched Lincoln Riley's presser, and unfortunately I was not in Waco, if you guys haven't figured that out by now, because on the road, when Oklahoma plays on the road, I gotta stay back and I gotta anchor the newscast at News Nine. So unfortunately I can't go to these road games. I don't know if he was asked about this, but Grant, coming out of a timeout, a delay of game on that? And Oklahoma had to call a t- it wasn't a delay game, but Oklahoma had to call a timeout because there was going to be a delay game. That is, I mean, Burkich makes the field goal. What if he misses the field goal after that and Riley basically iced his own kicker because for whatever reason they didn't get everyone on the field to kick the field goal in time? That was that was really bad. That happens. That was a poor. I feel like that happens just way too much in football in general. Like, how on earth are you not what? cognizant of the play clock in that situation? All I can think of there is that Riley was still kind of unsure if he was going to kick it or go for it on fourth down there. And that's maybe it took him a while to finally say, all right, kick it. And then by the time they got out there, but still that, I mean, he, it's a good thing Gabe Burkich is money, like you said, because he misses that field goal after he made it before. And that's a that's the story unless, I mean, Unless Oklahoma still finds a way to win the game, but if, that was—I just wanted to point that out. That was—that was not a good look, not very good clock management, and oh my gosh, that was very fortunate for Oklahoma. Yeah, I got to be honest. If if, if Burkich misses that kick, I come on here today and I rip Lincoln Riley, uh, like up and down for stuff like that. Um, and honestly, if, if he misses that kick, I probably would have ripped him for even kicking the field goal in general. Um, so yeah, and, and I'm sure people who have listened to this podcast are not going to be surprised. There's there's no planet I ever would have kicked a field goal on fourth down there. <laughs> I absolutely would have yeah. been sending my offense back out. I was thinking that too because I wasn't thrilled with the third down play. It was just a screen out to Rambo, and it was kind of the same principle as that Kennedy Brooks play earlier, trying to think that, okay, Rambo, the idea is that maybe we'll have one guy to make miss and get the first down where it turned out he did have the one guy, but there was some help. He had guys coming from behind that was able to to bring him down to bring up what fourth and three or whatever it was. I don't mind See, the I idea was that too. 
I just I, I kind of wish they would have thrown it to like Jaden Hazelwood or something and not not Rambo because not not that Rambo is like bad in situations like that but he is more of just like a straight line speed guy and mm-hmm. I I would have I would have preferred if they threw it to someone who's a little more of a jitterbug but you know it happens well, it it's a, a back to Gabe Burkich though Riley said after the game hey you may not believe me but I really wasn't worried about Burkich making the field goal. He said he thought he'd make it like he makes all the other ones he does in practice and all the high-stakes scenarios he does. And he also mentioned the confidence in Connor and Casey, uh, you know, long snapper and the holder as well. It's a big part of why Burgers has been so good. So for whatever reason, Lincoln Riley, I mean, it's I'm almost starting to believe it. it's not just publicly he's confident in Burgage. It might just straight up be he thinks Burgage is money, and maybe he is. I, I mean, he has not missed a field goal this year. <laughs> And he's made some pressure ones. I mean, there was a pre- he made that pressure kick against Kansas State that Oklahoma needed to make it a one-score game late in the game before the onside kick. I mean, that was a pressure kick. He nailed it. Uh, actually, I think he might have got it. It wasn't right down the middle, but still he made it. And then the one against Baylor, he splits the uprights, doesn't count, comes right back after a timeout, splits the uprights like no big deal. So good for Gabe Burkich, man. Uh, losing Austin Cyber, who, by the way, Austin Cyber this year, Grant, in the NFL, has not missed a field goal. He's missed some extra points. He missed two on Thursday night. He missed two extra points? He missed two field two goals field on goal. Thursday night. Oh, he did? Oh, okay. Yeah, well, they were both long ones, but he... I've already he, I've already wiped that game out of my brain. He missed them terribly. Tell, boy. They were long, but yeah, he, okay. he did not. No, yeah, you're right. Great. You're right. My bad. Okay, well, before this week, Austin Cyber had not missed any field goals. But yeah, so... Uh, excellent special teams by Oklahoma and Gabe Burkett deserves all the praise, all the praise. So they get the field goal, and then obviously the defense has to make one more stop. And you could highlight, I mean, there was a, what, the big sack on second down? Ronnie Perkins I again. I mean, Ronnie Perkins, Perkins three gets sacks. another sack on three sacks. But didn't they pick up a first down after this, though? They did. They did. It was a yeah, – uh, They picked up a first down, though. They were playing – they were playing pretty soft coverage. They threw a little hitch to Mims, and Motley came up and missed the tackle, and Mims was kind of loose after that, uh, got down inside the 40. And then uh, the next two plays were the Benito plays. Oh Well, there was one. I mean, after the sack, they completed one to the Oh, you're right, receiver. yeah. It was like a little out route. It was an out route. Yeah, just to get the first down. Yeah, like, uh, where he went out of bounds. Or- then the next play was to Mims. And then the next two were yeah, the Yeah, that was plays. scary. The Mims one was scary, man. I, I thought Mims was going to break it. I mean, he looked like he was about to break that one after the missed tackle by Motley. And then, thank goodness, they rallied to the ball. Right, God, Kenneth Murray brought him down from behind. Um, all right, so this is it. Yeah, we get to it, and my goodness, man. Oklahoma you know, gets that takeaway. We think, okay, now the floodgates are open. They got that Parnell Motley strip. <laughs> The game can be sealed by Nick Benito, and the ball is thrown right to him, and he drops it. I I think all of us, I'm sure, had the same exact thought. We all probably just were beside ourselves. I I can't even remember what I said or thought. I just remember thinking, well, it was something along the lines of this team, not surprisingly, just cannot buy a turnover, even after they got one. Like the floodgates are supposed to open, but still, he drops the game-winning pick. I can't believe what I just saw, Grant. What? How was? Was there any doubt that creeped in after that? Like, oh my gosh, Baylor is gonna figure this out. 
Well, I mean, sure, I but no doubt creeped in though. I I didn't have any like that doubt creep in after that though. To be honest with no, you, no, I I didn't either actually because because really up to that, I mean, Oklahoma really had proved themselves to be quite a bit better than Baylor over the course of the second half. Um, but yeah, and and also there just wasn't a ton of time between those two plays to really think about it enough because they showed one replay true, true. and they quick cut to the next play. That Brewer wasn't expecting the snap, and then he just, he picked off the next the next pass. So, which and and like I thought two and both plays really good defensive calls by Alex Grinch. Benito is rushing a majority of the game to the point where where Brewer is just expecting him to be rushing the entire time, and then he just kind of he just kind of slips Benito into those little zones, and that's what happens. So I you know yeah Benito drops to the flat he. Just dropped a game-winning pick, but he collects himself, and then he makes a heck of a play. In both instances, Brewer, heck of a play, man. Brewer definitely was not expecting Benito to be there both times. Um, and just so yeah, and, and of course the and of course the the more difficult play is the one that Benito makes. Um, and so I I just I just kind of <laughs> thought if you want to if you really really want to take the half glass full approach. For the rest of the season there, you can look at that first dropped pick like, hey, this is a microcosm of Oklahoma's season on defense up to this point. They have a chance to get off the field, a thing that would end the game right now, and you literally could not be in better position. It could not hit you in a better spot on your hands to make the play, and you still couldn't make the play. And so at that time, I'd be for, I'd forgive you if you thought, man, that's it. That was their opportunity to make the play, and now Baylor is going to come down and do it, and that's just what this defense has been all year, especially in the second half. But then 30 seconds later, they get another chance at it, and they actually make the play. And so, Lee, I have to ask you, is that is that going to be the play that opens up the floodgates? Is that going to do it? Mentally, is that what is going to flip the switch for this defense, maybe, to just to know it's like, hey... You made that one mistake, but you can always come back from it. There's always that next play. And Nick Benito, he like he moved on, he forgot about it, and he made the freaking play, the next play. And so I, I really hope that that... Yes, only... I was going to say, I really say hope yes, that that's the only turning if, point. <laughs> go ahead. I hope that too. And that certainly can be the floodgate opener because of all the things you said, but only if the guys are actively making sure to listen to the coaching staff, do your job, be disciplined, and not try to do too much. And it's up to the coaching staff to make sure they're in the right position. As Alex Grinch, he blames himself all the time. He says it's on us coaches to make sure that these guys are in the right spots and know what they're supposed to do. But as long as – and this is you know very elementary – but as long as everybody moving forward puts each other in good positions – then yes, that should be what opens the floodgates because Alex Grinch, he bases his defense on takeaways, and that's what he wants. And Oklahoma, uh, Alex Grinch wants 24 takeaways or something like uh, two. Uh, he wants two per game minimum. So that in 12 games, that's 24 for an entire season. Oklahoma's well behind that. Technically, Oklahoma's at eight right now. So they need to get a lot of turnovers in the next however many games to reach that average not going to happen, obviously. That's ridiculous. But it's contingent on everybody else doing their jobs and doing the right things for the floodgates to open. But certainly, there's a chance for that to happen. And actually, I have Lincoln Riley on the defense and on Alex Grinch after the game. 
you know, a game like this, a second half like this, you you have to have, you know, first year, I know when I came as offensive coordinator, you have, you're going to get into some of those moments where if you can make it happen, those moments, their belief goes through the roof. And we had, you know, we were fortunate enough that first year, not all of them, but we, we were able to have some, some of those moments offensively kind of in year one where you could feel the belief go through the roof. And, uh, you know, I, I think tonight can be that for us defensively. Um, he and our staff have done a great job, and our kids, you know, buy in again this week. Even after all the stuff out there, all the noise out there, this week was as good as it's been, and and the result was there. So, I'm proud of the you know what he's doing and what our staff's doing, and can't wait to see how much better we get. All right, what else we have here? I mean, that's that's the game, and. I have nothing else to add. Just do three word reviews. Yeah, I here. mean, it's just biggest comeback in OU history. It's um, it almost like rewatching the game. It just it was it almost didn't feel like it because it, it's crazy how much OU took control in the second half. Um, that was that was about of as big as a of a physical butt kicking in a half of football that you will see. Um. And like I, I really did mean it at the beginning of the podcast when I said they turned into a Big Ten team to win that game. And um, what's what's always been kind of the cliched criticism of Oklahoma football? Uh, their finesse. They, you know, if 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 you get them into a fight, they'll wilt. They're not tough. They were the tougher football team in that game, and that's why they won. And they punched Baylor in the mouth on defense in the second half. And uh, it was just, it was nice to see. They decided to go into that second half and leverage their physical advantage in the game. And they just did it over and over and over again until Baylor just didn't want anymore. And um, it's been a while since we've seen an OU football team be able to do that. And I just, I thought it was just a very unique win. Um, in this era of, of OU offense and just the, the crazy yards per play numbers and uh, just how explosive they've, they've been, they, they beat Baylor in the second half by taking five, six yards at a time and just, just taking whatever Baylor gave them. And, and they just did it over and over again. And uh, that's, that's difficult to do. And I'm just, I'm really happy that the team was able to get together. They were able to, to shake off the cobwebs uh, because it, it really provided all of us just with a really cool football memory. And uh, what, what a fun game that was. And I really hope that it... You know that it kicks off uh, a really memorable part of their season because uh, you never know. You never know what a game like that can do for you mentally, and so we'll we'll see what they look like going forward. All right, do you have the Facebook three word reviews up? I do. All right, I'll start on Twitter, and then we'll go back and forth. We'll start with Gonzo Strangelove. His three word review is "My poor heart." <laughs> Joel. Second half magic. Brian, Jalen's a warrior. I like that one. Ryan, a lot of our thoughts probably. What just happened? This is going from Jack. Benito, second chance. Good three-word review. Josh says, great halftime adjustments. Mark, he has a uh, tongue-in-cheek one. He says, never in doubt. (laughs) Let's see. At Russell West Goat says Boomer Sooner Magic. Another good Nick Benito, Nick Benito one from Chase. Benito gets redemption. I like that one. This is interesting. 
at low end guy 78 says Jekyll and Hyde. Let's see. Going through some more. There's only one says five star receivers. I like that one. Skip has multiple. He says woke up family with a laughy face. So everyone must have been sleeping in his house and he got excited. Defense came alive. Don't stop believing. Sooner magic back. Sooner script. Never give up. And I'll stop on Twitter for now with Jared. OU has guts and guts is all caps. And that's a good point. I think it showed that Oklahoma does have guts. Grant, what's Facebook showing you? All right. Scotty says Barry is proud. Of course, he's referencing Barry Switzer. And I think Barry would say there's a lot of Sooner magic involved in that game. Justin, who I, uh, who I kind of ribbed a little bit last week for being negative in his reviews, he said he's going to be all positive this week. And so he says Lee Morris found. And I agree. Lee Morris was amazing in this game. He says the fresh. That's a good one. Yep. He says the freshmen stepped up. They most certainly did. Um, let's see here. That's championship November. Those are the games you got to win. And I, it's, it's crazy. I mean, what, like, it seemed like every game last year, right, in November was, a, was kind of a butt clincher, was close like this. They're eventually going to lose a game in November, yeah. right? At least you would think so. Well, they eventually lost a road game. So, yeah, they're going to eventually lose a November game. I just don't know when that's going to happen. Let's see here. James says Alex Grinch resuscitated. And he says turnovers, <laughs> he says turnovers equal victory. Yes, they do. And actually, what? The Sooners actually lost the turnover battle in that game, ironically enough. Let's see here. Travis yeah. says carry the momentum. Yes, that would be really great. They need to be impressive from here on out. Um, let's see here. Um, well, Skip, I think, yeah, Skip already said woke up family. Is, yeah. Did, uh, yep. More uh, five-star freshman. Ooh, Stogner for two. It, it is nice to see Stogner catch a couple <laughs> touchdown passes. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, he's such a such a weapon they can have in the red zone, and whether it's not him going up against jump balls, I mean, in that game it was more him just, I mean, yeah, just being there. And So, yeah, it's good to see him get involved. Trey says, can't sleep now, and I was right there with you. I didn't fall asleep pretty until uh, pretty late after that game. Sydney, who's a longtime listener, he says, perfectly timed takeaways and second half shutout. Defense shutout Baylor in the second half. It's big deal. Ooh. Really big deal. Uh, Ned says, school history made, as we've already said. It's the, the biggest comeback in school history. We got more, uh, more with the five stars. The five stars shine. Uh, Caleb says, survive in advance. Barry says, sooner magic steroid. <laughs> sooner magic on steroids, for sure. <laughs> Uh, Matt, I think you already said this one, never in doubt. Uh, David says, hurts, don't it? And <laughs> Shane says, needed more alcohol. Can certainly, <laughs> certainly empathize with that. I got more on Twitter. Steve McGeehee, my colleague at News 9. What just happened? Another colleague at News 9, Jed, big OU guy. Youth stepped up. It's a good one, Jed. That's exactly what happened. There's another good one from Jed. Comeback creates confidence. Like the alliteration. Very nice. Uh, by the way, another one of my colleagues, Angel, also had the takeaways equal wins. And Alex Grinch, technically his quote's always been takeaways equal victory. So that uh, certainly is true. <laughs> Let's see. Thick as a brick says, need my meds. <laughs> 
Let's see if I can get any more in here. I don't – Brian, I think we did Brian earlier, but this is a new one. I don't know, and this is – he says Lincoln in parentheses. Best coached game, eh, I mean, I don't know about that considering the issue with the field goal at the end and the way the team came out. And uh, But the second half certainly was something. I mean, whatever they did in the second half was great, but I, it's hard to call that – Riley's best coach game considering the way it started for Oklahoma I think defensive back 29 squad showed heart that's a good one sooner scoop trash can all heart win I like that one let's see if make sure I don't miss any good ones uh, the whiskier the better has a pretty optimistic three-word review college football playoff okay We'll see. Yeah, I don't. Uh, uh, Dan, we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Dan, he does the thing where you have lowercase and uppercase letters to show that, well, we're being sarcastic in a bit. He says, never in doubt. I think that's that's it. I uh, A couple other ones that are not safe for the podcast. I know that you don't ever have a three-word review anymore. I kind of have one. It's not great, but I saw a GIF going around Twitter on Saturday that was pretty funny that I thought was maybe a little too soon because it was going on in the second half, and I thought, oh, Oklahoma's still losing this game. Maybe wait until it's you know maybe tied or Oklahoma's winning, but you may have saw it too. There was a GIF that was going around. Somebody put up the Sooner Schooner crash from the West Virginia game, but they had it in reverse. So it was, it was crash, but it was like going back up and like backwards. That was pretty funny. Yeah, I saw that. So that, made me, my, that made me chuckle. Yeah. <laughs> so my three-word review for that game is schooner in reverse because everything looked like it was crap until somehow Oklahoma reversed it and got the win. Fantastic game for Oklahoma. Again, I like the way it played out. I think it played out really well for the Sooners moving forward. And I'm glad we could be here to talk about this for all of you to listen. I hope you enjoy this podcast. Kind of a long one, but for a game like that, hopefully you guys don't mind it. Any final thoughts, Grant? No, I'm just uh, I'm really curious to see how they're going to come out mentally next week against TCU. Um, a game where you know style points would really not be a, a, a terrible thing for them. But also at this point in time, like like I said, uh, playoff is is not really close to the highest thing on my priority list right now. I want to win the Big Twelve. I really do. Um, that's that 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 conference championship streak is you know is important to me, and I think it's probably important to a lot of fans. And uh, I think that should be their number one concern right now. And if things fall into place, great. Um, you know, I, I they're going to have in all likelihood if if they're able to win out, they are going to have a resume that will stack up, and that may get them into the college football playoff. But of course, we know that eye test stuff is a big part of it, and so we'll. We'll see what happens. Right now, I just want to see them get better. I want to see them get better over these next two games and maybe three games into the Big 12 championship. All right, well said. That does it for this episode of West of Everest. We'll be back later in the week to talk all about OU versus TCU. Until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.